The truth lies in bedtime stories from See Through News. Series 7 Marcus and Jemima How I deal with people at parties who assume I have children. By George Hinchliffe Episode 4. Further developments. How do we introduce Clytemnestra? Is it possible that there are others as well? Well, once I had realised that I'd invented my children, Marcus and Jemima, I thought, if this had been real, would they have been my only children? You know, here I am in my 60s, been around for a while, had relationships. It's probably likely that I would have had more than two children, if I'd have been in the business of having children. And so I thought, actually, early on in my adult life, I probably would have had another child. And I thought Clytemnestra would probably have been the name that we'd have chosen. Of course, I'm not sure at this stage whether Clytemnestra would have come along before Marcus and Jemima. It's unclear. If you're making it up, you can switch all that around. You could say, oh, yes, Clytemnestra came along quite late in my life. Or you could say, oh, well, before I'd got things together, it was just a mistake at college. But, you know, she came along and we welcomed her. Um, It's been a bit of a struggle to cope with her. So I don't know whether she's older or younger than the other two. If the conversation had developed and then we talked about other children, I would have said to Rupert, of course, I have another child, Clytemnestra. And he'd said, oh, that's a bit of a mouthful, isn't he? He'd probably say that and say, you know, because we'd have established rapport and he would be able to, in a way, criticise the naming of the child or at least discuss it. And I would have said, yes, it's a bit of a mouthful, but we've always called her Clio or Clia, we would say. You wouldn't abbreviate Clytemnestra to Clyte or Clytem, but uh, Clia is probably the, the word that you'd use. And so it, that would sound perfectly reasonable. When I, you know, If you said, do you call her Clytemnestra? Time to come in from the garden now, Clytemnestra. You know, say... Uh, it'd be uh, Clia. Clia, that sounds like the sort of name you would give a child, I think, uh, colloquially. After I'd been talking to uh, Rupert for a while about the two children, I confessed to him that I did have a third child, Clytemnestra, and because he'd established some rapport and we were talking in uh, quite a relaxed way by then, he was able to ask me if... Uh, we always called the third daughter Clytemnestra, or if we shortened her name. And so, of course, I said to him that in everyday use, we'd said Clia. We called her Clia, not Clytemnestra. And uh, so he thought, he thought that was perfectly reasonable. And it seemed perfectly credible that we'd had a third daughter with a slightly unusual name. And what were the circumstances under which you had this other child that you, you didn't? And why didn't you immediately uh, bring her up? Well, Clytemnestra was a different kettle of fish, if you will. And when I was talking to Rupert about it, I realised that Clytemnestra could have come along before Marcus and Jemima or could have come along quite late in life. And so I chose to uh, introduce the topic without specifying details about how old she was. Of course, if you're making things up, it's sometimes a good idea to have a backstory so that you can say, oh, yes, uh, Clytemnestra is uh, 30 now. Or say, well, you know, she's only 12. It was a late uh, addition to the family. 
But of course, if you're responding to the needs of a social circumstance, and primarily you're not trying to come up with something that's uh, accurate or true, uh, but merely trying to facilitate social intercourse and uh, establish rapport with a person you're probably never going to see again, uh, you can make it up as you go along. If the social circumstance develops to the extent that candour and detail seems appropriate, then I could say something more about my own circumstances. So, for example, rather than saying that I'd been in the army and I'd had a an honourable discharge, even though I was the person who procured the non-prescribed pharmaceuticals, which my superior officer was uh, court-martialed as a result of. And, and he had, a, well, he had a dishonourable discharge, and I had the honourable discharge, even though I was the one who got the drugs. Uh, rather than telling that story, which, of course, uh, could have been true, uh, I could have told a story about how I had uh, post-traumatic stress and was uh, banged up in a, a psychiatric wing. Of course, this was in the late 70s, early 80s, when things were different, and they only let me out one day a year, and so I saw my wife once a year, and, and for the next 13 years we had 13 children, saving up our fertility for that one day a year. So I could say that Marcus and Jemima came along, Clytemnestra was a different thing, but... Hubert, Lily and Walter were the next three children. We went in this old-fashioned sort of uh, naming cycle. And then we decided to have more modern names, so we had Wayne and then the following year Taylor and then Warren. And then we got all sort of new-agey about it and had Sky. Rather a nice name, I thought. But then decided traditional or old-fashioned naming conventions were better, so we had Augusta. Uh, and then, of course, late additions were Micah and Baz. But by the time Micah and Baz came along, we'd got into, uh, what do they call that thing? Care in the community, so I was no longer incarcerated all through the year. Thank you for clearing that up. And, of course, then we had Pajork. <laughs> What was the, what was going on with Pjork? Why, that was on the way back. That was unrelated. But why did that seem funny? We were talking about children who had names that were like pork products. It was like meat, Captain B. We were on some kind of bacon. Meat. Oh, Kevin, Kevin Bacon. bacon that's yeah. what it was. Let's not get distracted. Oh, Michael Gammon. <laughs> okay. There may still be some listeners who are slightly in the doubt about what's going on. I thought your story about the village of compulsive truth tellers and compulsive liars was very helpful in that regard. But I wonder if, uh, if there's another illustrative story that might illuminate, you know, what's true and what's not. In episode five, further clarifications, George tries to set things straight. Marcus and Jemima was written by George Hinchliffe, who also composed the series' music. The series was produced and mixed by Sternwriter. The Truth Lies in Bedtime Stories is a see-through news production. See-through news is a non-profit social media network with the goal of speeding up carbon drawdown by helping the inactive become active. For more, visit 
seethroughnews.org. Thank you for listening.